The materials disclosed on this podcast are deemed to be sales desk literature and subject to our client communication policy and code of conduct, as well as IROC rules. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, uh, before, before, we, we finish today, before we finish today, yeah. before we finish today, I have let, one more question. To okay, go. okay, go on. Okay. Is it? CAD US 1030s. I was just um, going to say that. I was just going to really? talk with the long end. All right, Nick, I want you to repeat after me, okay? Okay. Peak. Peak. Macro. Macro. Say it again. You know, it's very risky anytime <laughs> you in particular ask someone to repeat after you. It's true. You know, before we get into peak macro, and I think that's going to be a big theme on the cast today. Yeah. You know, I was mad at you for about two minutes this weekend. Do you want to hear why? Uh, Sure. Okay, so uh, not a lot of people know this, but those of you that do, do. The two things that make me the most anxious in life are driving on highways and heights. And I was taking my kids skiing this weekend and we were stuck on the chairlift for literally like an hour. Mm -hmm. So I start scrolling through my social media and I see there's like this birthday party for Nick X-Rose. And I'm like, well, thanks for the show, man. Like. I thought I, we were buddies. We bled together at work. But then I realized it was for your dog. So I guess I guess the question is, how was your dog's first birthday party? It's phenomenal. What, what do you do for a dog's birthday party? <laughs> well, you let him go a little bit crazy at the dog park. And uh, you let him suck everyone's attention away from you and leaving you pretty lonely, actually. So it's fine. That's no, fine. I'm not jealous of Charlie at all. Okay. Well, look, let's, let's talk about Peak Macro for a second because... You know, there's a lot of developments last week, a lot of innovations uh, that one could say were hawkish, uh, particularly coming across the pond. So, you know, to start with, did you think that the language coming out from either the Bank of England or the ECB was truly that unexpected? Not, not really. What's more unexpected, it's not the language per se that's unexpected because it is, and you talked about this a lot, it's the global nature, the global coordination amongst all these developed market central bankers that's coming to fruition. What's more interesting, at least from my point of view, was the asset runoff implications. And you nailed it. I got to tip my hat to you. Uh, you nailed the OC's approach to QT here. What's interesting is the BOE's wind down of their corporate bond holdings. And then two, what is the ECB going to do on their end? And does that have any implications for the BOC going forward. I know they're taking a passive approach, but they own a lot of provis as well. Are they going to take a passive approach when the rubber really meets the road here? I Listen, it's a good question. I think when we say, well, what was the real hawkish innovation from the Bank of England, other than the fact that you had the dissenters that were dissenting in a, you know, for a larger non-standard size hike, it was that they're implementing active QT a little bit earlier than most thought. And you know, remember, they own I think it's like 15 or 20 billion sterling of corporate bonds. Exactly. They're going to actively sell those down, not before the end of 2023 will they get to zero. But, you know, that, that in and of itself suggests that there's a difference in terms of thinking about the different parts of their balance sheet. Now, I think that there's, we can talk about this later, but I think there is an implication for Canadian covered bonds because obviously Canadian coveds uh, do rely on the cross market quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But when we bring it back to the Bank of Canada, I think it's indicative of what they could potentially do with their non-government holdings. And non-government, I mean non-federal government. Yeah. So I, I think that we will be talking about asset sales in the provincial portfolio. I don't think it's a 2022 story, but I think it's a good indication of where some of the thinking around quantitative tightening can go. 
it's just like, do you want to take credit risk, whether yeah. it's government risk or it's corporate risk? Like, do you do you need that on the balance sheet? Is that really helping things all that much? And the answer is probably no. So, okay, what's your takeaway? I want to close the chapter a little bit on Europe and talk a little, get closer to home. Your net takeaway from Europe was? To me, the net takeaway was, other than central banks being hawkish, when I think about the bond market interpretation, yeah. the ungluing of bonds, the ungluing of gilts, to a lesser degree, just means more spillover into treasuries, particularly bonds. Yeah. And to me, that is the steepening risk globally because if we are talking about you know, UK or German tenures starting to reprice, that's going to feed back into the long range of the curve. And I know we're spending a lot of time, rightly so, on the front end, what it means, mm-hmm. what's fair value. But that spillover implication is huge. So if you hit bonds to treasuries, then treasuries have to hit Canada's. Like I think it's a pretty straightforward uh, movement. And we're, we're seeing a little bit of sleeping move uh, as we speak right now. It is uh, Monday afternoon. Okay, so let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about Canada. The data was horrible Friday for Canada. Not unexpectedly horrible, but pretty weak. I'm looking at the calendar, Ian, before the, the next confab for the BOC. I have uh, CPI, right? That's a Jan uh, indicator. And I have all the high-frequency data points. For December. For December. So that's going to be, we know that's going to be bad. So everything's kind of hinging on CPI, right? Well, and it's, it's one of those things where, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the February labor force survey comes out the Friday after the bank meeting. So I think the bank meeting is on the 2nd. Yeah, the bank meeting is at the start of the month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So look, I think, you know, when I look at the Canadian data from last Friday, the jobs report, yeah, it was bad, but it, it was almost like a good bad in the sense all the weakness was concentrated mm-hmm. in areas that we had hoped it would be concentrated in. It wasn't very broad-based. It was all food and accommodation services. So it was, it was the reopening story, right? And it was the containment story, and that's going to turn into a reopening story. The thing that's interesting here is that, you know, you looked at uh, average hourly wages, right? And mm-hmm. wages in the good sector had eclipsed uh, the peak pre-pandemic back in November. And we just passed the peak in hourly wages in the service industry, despite all of these job declines. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the divergent paths of wages in Canada versus wages in the U.S. with the latter growing much, much faster. Mm -hmm. But if you drill down a little bit, it's because you had, remember, you had the uh, minimum wage hike from Ontario last January. That was a very hard comparable to beat. So when I look at the next couple of months, you actually had negative month over month moves in wages. So I think, you know, even if we kept wages flat from where they were, we're going to be a three and a half percent wage growth over the next two months. And that's really important for those saying, well, why is Canada falling so far behind the US? What I do find interesting is obviously Canada's recovery from COVID has been a little bit more, well, a lot more, and we saw that on the data Friday, actually, stop-start type scenario, right? Harsher on, trying to get cases down and whatnot. Somehow, it seems like the response from the central banks will actually be moving in lockstep for most of this year. So I'm just wondering, from your point of view, what does that mean for, does that have any implication on on, on where we end up in terms of neutral rates, uh, what the overall monetary policy setting will be, you know, at the end of this year into 23, do you think that matters? Well, I think it, I think it does, right? Because I think, you know, if you knew nothing and you just someone just showed you a chart of what was priced for the full cycle, how much of that was supposed to be delivered uh, in 2022, 
You'd be like, well, why are we delivering 80% plus of the cycle this year? Like, what what yeah. is it about this recovery? And it's just this concern about inflation. And remember, you know, policy is a very blunt tool. It can't be all things to everybody. And I think the key difference in this hiking cycle is that tightening financial conditions is the input. It's, it's not the output. And, and I think that means that regardless if the data starts to weaken, uh, at least initially, mm-hmm. they're going. Uh, and they're not going to stop, you know, and that's why I, I pay a lot of attention to what Governor Macklem said two weeks ago in the Globe and Mail. I remember, he was asked about the various paths that policy tightening could take. And one of them he said that they were looking at is delivering a series of hikes and then pausing to reassess. And I think that it's that reassessment phase that realigns the strength of the data or the weakness of the data to yes. future policy moves. So it's almost like there's this inelastic reaction function for the first couple of hikes, maybe the first three hikes, yeah. just to get off zero. It's it's kind of interesting because we've kind of put data dependency on hold yeah. until we get to like 75 basis points, to 100 basis points, and then we're like, okay, now we're data dependent again. Well, that's the key, right? And that's why I think when we're looking at where these terminal rates are priced, you know, it's not necessarily a function of the pace. Like, I've never had a problem with where the endpoint of policy has been priced, whether it was last year or this year. It's just the path getting to that point has always looked a bit odd. And, you know, you could see it in the shape of the OIS curve. You're very steep in the very near dates. You're very flat in the back dates. Um, and I, I would still take fewer rather than more in terms of my mm-hmm. calculus uh, of risks for 2022. But, you know, you mentioned a question, and I want to touch upon it briefly. It's that, well, why is... Canada pricing in a terminal rate of two and a quarter in the U.S. 175, both being in opposite directions of the peak in their prior cycles. You know, we've talked a lot about this, and I think the speech from Governor Macklin this week is going to highlight this very nicely. It's productivity trends. You know, the U.S. is a highly productive economy. Uh, Canada is the opposite. And if anything, we see hours work continuing to improve, and yet we see GDP that's still below Mm -hmm. its pre-pandemic trend. And on Wednesday, remember that Governor Malcolm is giving a speech on the topic of productivity and business growth in a non-inflationary way. And I think what the main message coming out of that is going to be is that, listen, there's a lot of dead money in the system. Savings are really high, but that savings has to be recycled into investment uh, in order to juice up productivity. And if it's not, then what that simply means is that you do need higher interest rates over time to stop that imbalance, whereas you don't have that in the U.S. And that's a deeply, deeply theoretical way of thinking about the terminal rate. But he's going to start talking about it. And I think markets got to start paying attention to it. I feel like we're still talking about, you know, Paul has had that. It ended up being a dream of this very salutary rotation away from the consumer to business investment that never really materialized. The saving grace for Canada, could it come from the energy sector? I see crude prices... No, TI above $90. It's the strongest we've been in a very, very long time. Well, look, I mean, unequivocally. The energy sector is hugely productive, Ian, in terms of per worker GDP. Could that be kind of a saving grace? I don't know. I mean, the way that I look at it is that, yes, you know, higher energy prices, it's unequivocally good for Canada. It's a positive terms of trade shock. It feeds through to national income. The problem, though, is that when you talk about capital deepening, we're talking about true CapEx. Mm -hmm. The reason the 2015 oil price decline was so bad for Canada is that, you know, CapEx and oil and gas was something like 20% of the economy. Today, it's closer to 8%. So, even if you have this reacceleration of projects, it still represents a very small portion of overall capex intention. So I don't know; it's mm-hmm. not clear to me. It's yet to be seen. Yet to be seen. Yeah. Is, is there anything on the on the macro side in Canada that's that's not being talked about that should be talked about in your opinion? Well, look, I think I think we're talking about everything. I think most people are talking about everything and covering yeah. their bases. 
I just think it's this idea of how fast can we consume to offset any decline in you know fiscal spend. It's yeah. probably a bigger story in the U.S. I think than in Canada. Yeah, I feel like that's more of a U.S. thing, but yeah, we're not talking a lot about. Canada. But you know, I want to switch gears here a little bit because obviously the talk from the ECB, the Bank of England, got people very excited about a fifty basis point move in March from the Fed. So, talk to me in your opinion: what needs to happen for a non-standard size hike to be delivered? Honestly, I think they got to message it. I think you, you touched upon it a little bit. They're, they're talking about a deliberate move higher in rates. True. But they're not trying to what's a what's a good analogy? Rattle the cage. I don't think they're trying to really like stomp on the market in doing so and trying trying to get the rate setting higher, particularly when you know they haven't really pushed back against you know turmoil rates being a little bit sub two percent. So if you still if you're thinking terminal could still be in that range, you know, going for a non-standard hike, I understand the data is very strong. You would have to really reassess that. And I think that would have to come with, you know, the intelligentsia of the committee coming out and saying, hey, look, we're thinking about what the post-COVID cycle will look like. Are we talking about massive reonshoring? There could be a lot of topics that they can talk about that would necessitate a higher terminal setting. But before they come out and talk about that, I, I don't think, you know, the data is going to be strong enough to suggest, you know, a 50 base point move. Well, you're right. I mean, I think on the one hand, you're right in what you said about that shock and awe would very much hurt cross assets, right? Particularly, I think risk assets would get hurt with a 50 basis point move. Mm -hmm. But then you think about the currency. And I think, you know, if we really are peak macro, then what is the driving force of a stronger secular U.S. dollar? It's not clear to me, uh, to be honest with you. But maybe a 50 basis point would be one of those things where you can actually get the dollar stronger in the near term. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, Uh, before before we finish today, before we finish today... Yeah. Before we finish today, I have let, one more question. To okay, go. okay, go on. Okay, is it? CAD US 1030s. I was just going to say that. I was just going to really? talk about the long end. I was like, okay, we can't finish, the, the, we can't finish the, the podcast without talking about the long end. Okay, uh, talk to me. Listen, it's been exceptionally strong over the past, I guess, mm-hmm. up to date, right? Like Canada US 30s is in nine basis points. Mm-hmm. The Canada US 1030s box, however, has actually shown a bit of improvement. It's starting to get a little bit stickier on that minus four and a half, minus five level. Listen, I have a very pure view on the back end of the curve. I think that if you have any move in global duration, like we kind of talked about earlier on the show, it's a high beta market in Canada, much higher than the US. The reason for that is quantitative tightening is going to happen faster. We have more supply in the back end. Uh, and net-net, when I kind of wrap it all together, I just don't think that the real money community needs as many long bonds as people suspect that they do. You have a good relationship and a good understanding with a lot of those types of accounts that would traditionally buy long end duration. Am I off to base here or you think we're on to something? No, I, we, we talked about it uh, the last time I was on and you've since come crawling back, which is... Oh, good. It takes a show of character for you to do that, which I appreciate. And we talk about, you know, the, the silly metric is the 30-year rate above 2%. Okay, buy them. Okay, there's some of that going on for sure. But there are people who are looking at it and looking at Canada. Well, one, looking at the research that you're putting out and things that we're talking about in terms of that cross-market box. And looking at Canada, especially on a day like today where global curves are really steepening out and Canada is staying really sticky and saying, okay, that doesn't, I'm not sure that really makes sense right now, particularly when, you know, tactically speaking, there's a few issuers queuing up in the long end where we might see uh, the move higher in in 10-year swap spreads 
has really deterred some of the buying that we've seen in that sector. And there's tensions has shifted over uh, towards the long end. So there's going to be some supply coming down there. I do think Arjun, who's on your team, who I can't wait till he's, he's I think he's going to be a, he's going to be a rock star. Did a lot of great work on that, talking about the timing of the cycle, looking at that cross market box and looking at it as a bimodal distribution and how we can really push towards maybe uh, the right or end of that second sort of hump in the curve. So I definitely think it's topical. And I would tend to agree with you that CAD longs, as of right now, do seem a little bit expensive. Yeah, listen, I think it's one of those things where we, you just got to look at the ranges. Like, I can make the case why, given what we're priced for terminal, CAD five years should look great. But then I look at the cross market move over the past really two mm-hmm. months and they've richened aggressively. So, I, you know, I'm actually short them in my book. But there's going to be a time that you want to own Canada. I just don't think that time is right now. And that is the wolf o'clock. That means that this podcast yeah. is done. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for joining us again. And remember, there are no bonds harmed in the making of this podcast. The information and data contained here and has been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable without independent verification by CIBC Capital Markets and to the extent that such information and data is based on sources outside CIBC Capital Markets, we do not represent or warrant that any such information or data is accurate, adequate, or complete. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary herein, CIBC World Markets Inc. and or any affiliate thereof shall not assume any responsibility or liability of any nature in connection with any of the contents of this communication. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice. CIBC Capital Markets is a trademark brand name under which different legal entities provide different services under this umbrella brand. Products and or services offered through CIBC Capital Markets include products and or services offered by the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and various of its subsidiaries. For more information about these legal entities and about the products and services offered by CIBC Capital Markets, please visit www.cibccm.com. Speakers on this podcast are not research analysts and this communication is not the product of any CIBC World Markets Inc. research department nor should it be construed as a research report. Speakers on this podcast do not have any actual, implied, or apparent authority to act on behalf of any issuer mentioned. The commentary and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals, except where the speaker expressly states them to be the opinions of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Speakers may provide short-term trading views or ideas on issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments, but investors should not expect continuing analysis, views, or discussion relating to these instruments discussed herein. Any information provided herein is not intended to represent an adequate basis for investors to make an informed investment decision and is subject to change without notice. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice.